Welcome to First Things First. Alongside Chris Broussard and Nick Wright, I'm Kevin Wilds. A bit of a somber tone for us this morning as we discuss the life and legacy of Bill Russell. Bill Russell was a champion, a pioneer, and a trailblazer. His on-court resume is impeccable. Two-time NCAA champion, a gold medalist, 11-time NBA champion. He was the first black coach in professional basketball. He marched with Dr. King. He stood with Ali. He was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and he inspired a generation of players, activists, and citizens worldwide. Broussard, how will you remember Bill Russell? Uh, Kevin, I'll remember Bill Russell as a great man of tremendous strength, courage, and conviction. And that's saying a ton because it would be, you could just remember him as a tremendous athlete. With all that he did as an athlete, the fact that I and so many others are thinking of him as a great man and what he did off the court first is incredible. As you said, look, he's the greatest winner in American sports history, period. And there's, there's not even a discussion. This is not a LeBron-Michael Jordan debate. It's no debate. 11 championships is more than any other American athlete in our three major sports has won. And the fact that he did it in 13 years is just astounding. If somebody did that today, we'd be naming cities after them. So that's how much of a winner he was. You mentioned he also won two championships in three years at San Francisco in the NCAA. So he was a tremendous winner. But we are thinking of him more for what he did off the field, outside of sports, than we are on the field. And you mentioned some of the things, standing with Muhammad Ali, marching with Dr. Martin Luther King. And I would say this to today's athletes, because we do have athletes that don't want to speak to the media. We have athletes that don't want to compete for various reasons, many of them mental issues that they may be going through. And I'm not belittling those because I do think in today's era of social media, of 24, uh, the 24 seven news cycle of the constant scrutiny that today's athletes are under, it does make it tough. It is anxiety producing. But I would say to today's athletes who struggle with these issues, look at Bill Russell as inspiration. Look at the things Bill Russell played through, fought through, excelled through. As, as if he could go through that and be as great as he was, then I can go through whatever challenges I'm facing. And I'm talking about challenges such as obviously there was just outright overt racism that he faced. But I'm talking about in Boston after leading them to six championships of his 11. It was midway through his career. People broke into his home in suburban Boston, sprayed racial slurs on the walls of his house and left human feces in his bed. In his bed. And he played through that. I'm talking about being under FBI surveillance for being an arrogant Negro, as the FBI termed him. Those are the things, and we could go on and on, that Bill Russell played through, won through, excelled through, carried himself with great dignity uh, and character through, and strength. He was just an awesome individual. I love seeing the footage of Kobe Bryant talking with him and other players uh, of the modern era speaking with him and learning from him because they all understand as great a player, Nick, as he was, he was even a greater man. And listen, that's incredibly well said. And I want to start by focusing on Bill Russell, the player, because I do think because his impact off the court was so massive and because it is such a long time ago from a basketball era, the Bill Russell, the player, we say 11 titles and then we move on. And it's not just the 11 titles and the five MVPs, but that's obviously a big part of it. When Bill Russell got to college, within a year, Brew, Sports Illustrated wrote, the NCAA is going to have to change the rules because of him. And within a year of that, they did. They widened the lane to try to lessen his impact. That didn't stop him from having a 55-game winning streak 
and winning two titles. Then the summer after college, he goes to the Olympics and wins a gold medal. Then he gets to Boston, thanks to an amazing trade by Red Arback, who is also a pioneer of basketball history, and a Boston Celtics team that had never been to the finals, then went to 10 consecutive finals. His first year in the league, he plays Bob Pettit in the NBA Finals, double overtime, Game 7. Russell, of course, wins. You say, of course, because he never lost a Game 7, 10-0 in Game 7s in his career. His second year in the league was one of the two years, Brew, he didn't win a title. And Wilds pal Bill Simmons talked with Bill about that. And Bill, as of a few years ago, was still angry about that series. Said he was hurt in that series, which he was. He missed a few games. And that's why they lost. And Bob Pettit gets the title. And Bill Russell tortured Bob Pettit on the court because of that over the next decade. They then win eight consecutive titles. Eight consecutive titles. They then lose just the second time and the only other time he loses in his career. So what does Russell do, Brew? Takes over his coach, as Wilds mentioned, and they win two more titles. He started his basketball career beating Bob Pettit in a Game 7. He ends his basketball career beating the Los Angeles Lakers in a Game 7. That Lakers team had Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, and a man known as Wilt Chamberlain, who maybe was the only athlete of the 60s that had more natural physical gifts than than Russell. Because Russell, the athlete, could have been an Olympic long jumper. He was an all-time physical specimen, yet the only guy greater physical specimen than him, Wilt, Russell did all the winning because Russell understood team, Russell understood sacrifice, Russell understood what it took to win. With all that said, his greater impact was had off the court. He was one of our last. We are unfortunately now in a time because of you know age, we don't have many remaining true civil rights icons. He was one of them. We lost John Lewis a couple years ago. We lose Bill Russell yesterday. And for all of that, Brew, for all the winning, for all the sacrifice, how was he treated? You mentioned how Boston fans treated him, and that was in the contemporary times, breaking into his home, vandalizing his home. But even far after the Russell era, you would have discussions of who's the greatest Celtic? Kuzi, Havlicek? Bird, well, what all three of those guys have in common is they're all white and they're all worse than Bill Russell was. How did the media treat him? Well, terribly. When he got the job as the head coach, he was asked in his opening press conference if he was going to be racist against white players. And you said it. How did our government treat him? Well, they put him under surveillance, as you mentioned, and called him, quote, an arrogant Negro, end quote, who's mean to white children. And despite all of that, He carried himself with grace, with class, and was an ambassador for what the best of us always could be. Bill Russell, at 83 years old, signed up for Twitter. And what was his first tweet? Kneeling with Colin Kaepernick. Because even as an octogenarian, he understood his responsibility to the moment and to the movement. And, I, you know, there's... I'm not certain because of your guys' times in the NBA if you guys ever had a chance to shake Bill Russell's hand. I did not, and that is a sadness for me. He was a true living legend and a true hero off the court, which almost rightfully overshadowed, Brew, the fact that when I do the the silly, you know, best player arguments and the 50 best of the last 50 years, one of the reasons, Brew, my list is the last 50 years— is because if you start the argument with anyone other than the guy who won the 11 championships is the best ever, you kind of start to be like, wait, what's the point of the whole thing then? And so he's almost a victim of his own dominance. It was a life, 10 lifetimes well lived. Yeah, I would would add this, Nick, to what you said about him as a player, if you don't mind, Wilds. A lot of it's fashionable for, I think, a lot of younger players or people to say, yeah, Bill Russell, what was he, 6'9", 6'10", wasn't a great shooter, only shot 44% from the field. Like, he wouldn't be any good today. And I would say, stop it. Like you said, Nick, he was a tremendous athlete. He was an Olympic caliber athlete. 
All right. And for those that would say he couldn't do it in today's NBA, how about Ben Wallace, who was, what, 6'7", who dominated the NBA as a center and became a Hall of Famer? How about Draymond Green playing center today at 6'6", 6'7"? All right, how about Robert Williams III being a, a huge factor as a center in today's NBA? So stop it with the nonsense that Bill Russell couldn't have been a great player, a great center to in today's NBA or the AB, NBA of the 80s or 90s as well. He would have been just as dominant in any era because, as I said, Wilds, the proof is in the pudding. He was a straight-up winner and would have found a way to always win. I think you're 100% correct. And my, I never got a chance to meet Bill Russell, but being around uh, the NBA a few years ago, one of the most fascinating parts of his legacy is how he was an active part of not only the social justice um, um, issues of the day, and Nick showed that picture that he posted on Twitter, but also in the NBA community in the finals. So when I was working the finals, when the finals, when a team got up three, not three and we're at a deciding game, there would be plans that Bill Russell would have to start going to each city. And I was, you know, a youngish man, and that's taxing on you. They're like, oh, we're going back to Cleveland. Oh, Cleveland, we're going back to Golden State. And Bill Russell's in his 80s making this trip because it was important for him to be on the court and giving that trophy is important to the league in general. And Bruce, one of the things I think is fascinating is when you talk about the, the major trophies in the world, right? So the Cy Young Award. Cy Young, you, you've seen still photos of Cy Young. He's not necessarily a, a real person. You know, even the Lombardi Trophy has taken on a, a sense of, I don't know, esteem and just it feels distanced from Vince Lombardi. And you've seen old tape of Vince Lombardi. You see Bill Russell handing the trophy to Kevin Durant and to Kawhi. And he recently put out a video saying, congratulations, Steph, on your first trophy. So the fact that he has spanned in his relevancy, not only on the court, but off the court, has, stand, has spanned decades is just another phenomenal piece of his resume that he's been relevant from you know, the 1940s up until literally today's NBA. No, that, that's absolutely right. And look, we joke a lot about me being a wise elder statesman on this show, Nick. I, I didn't see Bill Russell play. I wasn't, you know, I, I was born when he was playing, but I was not. I mean, but I, seriously, yeah. I was too young to remember seeing him play. But I do remember when he coached, you know, after the Celtics and when he was calling, yep. you know, games, when he was a commentator. So I do remember Wilds, as you say, him being a huge part of the NBA during that era. And um, it, it's just, you can't uh, overstate how big a loss this is. And I want to I wanna now just reverse back for just a moment before we move on to Russell off the court. Because there is something very fashionable that happens when an icon such as Bill Russell, I remember when it happened with Muhammad Ali, when they pass, and it has happened for decades to the memory of Dr. King, which is we paper over the fact that while he was active, while he was an activist, he wasn't just a controversial figure. He wasn't just a figure that was hated in some corners. He was a figure that his own government, you could, I don't think it's too strong to say, conspired against and worked actively against. And now a lot of folks today will send out the tweet or organizations will send out the tribute as almost it's rote, as if you must. And I would, you know, I think Charles, it was either Jim Brown or Charles Barkley, my apologies for not remembering, I think it was Jim Brown, who said Muhammad Ali, you know, famously became beloved once he lost the ability to speak. Bill Russell never lost the ability to speak, but I think many people, you know, chose to lose the ability to remember what he represented and just looked at him as the affable, funny old man with the great laugh. I, I, I would recommend folks, you don't have to read his whole book if you don't want to and don't have the time, 
But to educate yourself on what Bill Russell represented, what he truly was about off the court, and ask yourself, is that something you march with or against today in your own personal life? Because a lot of folks, you know, uh, pay tribute to Ali and pay tribute to Dr. King, despite the fact that they act in ways that Dr. King or Ali or Bill Russell would have never endorsed. And so I think that is the fairest tribute we can pay to him. In addition, Wilds, to of course, acknowledging he's the greatest winner in sports history. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. If you ask me, nothing goes quite together like football and food, especially in the fall. College football on Saturday, the pros on Sunday, and the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card provides the perfect way to earn rewards. Whether watching your team with other super fans at a local eatery or in the comfort of your own living room. Earn four times points when you dine out or have food delivered. Maybe order a pizza and watch the big game on that big TV of yours. Plus, earn two times points at grocery stores, which is great if you're tailgating at the stadium with hot dogs and hamburgers. Even getting to the game can be rewarding as you'll earn two times points at gas stations and EV charging stations. Go to usbank.com slash altitude go to learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Score big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash altitude go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association. Pursuant to a license from Visa USA Incorporated, some restrictions may apply. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So, to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash FTF. netsuite.com slash FTF. netsuite.com slash FTF. Jerry wants to feed Zeke. His cap hit is the largest of any running back. His production, meanwhile, has dropped each year of his career. Nick, what do you make of Jerry saying this? Oh, you know, Wilds, I love a real-life action of the sunk cost fallacy, and we get to watch it in real time. So we've talked about this many times on the show, but for our new viewers, the quick example of it, you buy tickets to the theater, you d- day of the show, realize, I don't want to go to the theater, it's raining, I don't feel well, I would be miserable there. But you feel an obligation to go because you've already spent the money. That's the sunk cost fallacy, except in this case... Jerry Jones is the person that demanded you buy the ticket to the theater, and he'll be damned if you don't go and enjoy that show. So there's the problem. Ezekiel Elliott is not their best option at running back. However, it is hard to get past that $16 million cap hit. And by the way, you said he's the high, it's the biggest in football this year. Next year, it's the big, it's the, would be the third biggest if he's on the team and the eighth biggest running back cap hit if you cut him just in dead money. So this is not a problem that's necessarily going to go away right now. But obviously, Brew, you should not be determining what the focal point of your running game is by anything other than who is your best running back. The the dollars spent at the position should matter none whatsoever once the games get start getting played. But that is a very difficult thing for people to get past. So I would say this is... There was a bad sign earlier this offseason, last week, from the Cowboys that kind of went under the radar, 
which was when Gallup was asked by reporters about his availability for week one. And he's like, oh, no, that's not going to be happening. It's like, oh, well, that's concerning. And then Zeke right now being or Jerry saying Zeke is going to be the Cowboys number one option at running back. Hands down. When it comes from Jerry, you know, McCarthy hears it. I don't think it's a good sign. Well, Nick, what it is, it's not a good sign, and it is the latest sign of why the Dallas Cowboys are the mess that they are. As good as they should be this season, Mm. they're a mess. And they've been a mess for the past quarter century. As we talked about last week, they haven't won a Super Bowl in 27 years. You have an entire generation of young football fans wondering, America's team, what? Like, why, why are people always talking about the Cowboys? They have no idea what the Cowboys used to be. And the, the, the one factor in all of this, Nick, is Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones has no business talking about who should be the focal point of the running game. Now, I get it. He's the GM. So he kind of does in that regard. But he shouldn't be the GM. He should be the owner and let football people determine what happens on the football field. Let Mike McCarthy and his staff determine who's the focal point of the running game. Now, look, I probably believe a little more in Zeke than you do, Nick. He looked good in the first five games of the season last year, had two straight 100-yard games in games four and five, and then the knee began to bother him, and he was mediocre the rest of, at best the rest of the season. I agree. Tony Pollard is the explosive back. They seem to think Pollard can't be the workhorse, maybe because of his size, even though he's not like a tiny guy. But they want to get him out more as a receiver, catching the ball. So, look, I'm fine if the game plan is let's let Zeke, you know, be a guy that takes a lot of hits, running up the middle, taking the pounding, loosening up the defense, and then we get Pollard in there to do his thing and explode. But I would say... Pollard should get at least as many carries as Zeke, or very close to it, if not more. And if Pollard begins to establish himself as the straight-up best best of the two, and actually, you know, maybe a guy that's surprising people around the league and being one of the best backs in the league, then I think you got to ride him. Zeke's contract should not be a factor in that, Wilds. I totally agree with you. And Nick, I know you said that Mike McCarthy hears Jerry Jones when he puts out statements like this. If I'm Mike McCarthy, I'm in I don't care anymore land. I just don't. Because you know what else I've heard? All the Sean Payton rumors. I know this might be my last year. So I'm saying, oh, okay, sounds good. I'm basically going to do whatever I want. I think the Sean Payton rumors have freed, or at least they should have, freed Mike McCarthy up. Because unless he wins, Sean Payton is coming in that door. So if it was me, I'm running who I want to run. I'm calling the plays I want to, and, and I'm not trying to think about next year. I'm just trying to win. And whatever Jerry says or whatever I'm hearing, I'm not listening to it anymore. I'm going to yeah, do the, me the, if I'm I, Mike McCarthy. Do you th- I guess the, the flip side to the McCarthy job security part in regards to this specific thing is some would argue that if they were Mike McCarthy and their job is, you know, on tenuous footing, what they would do is exactly what the person who would fire them wants. What, what, do, you, do, what do you want? That won't work. Jerry, do you want a few that snaps at running no, back? Whatever right. you want, buddy. Okay. Oh, I'm not saying he yeah, should. I'm saying yards. that no, a lot of folks, right, Nick. if it, their job is in jeopardy, go path of least resistance to what the boss wants. Yep. Speaking of yep. things that might be in jeopardy, what about the Bucks Super Bowl Uh-oh. chances? Ryan Jensen's going to be out. Uh oh. We'll discuss next. I'm a little nervous. Another day, another Tyreek soundbite. New media strikes again. His confidence in the new offense hasn't wavered yet. Take a listen. Bringing in the same system, you know, that they used in, in San Fran, and that was very successful, you know. So he had Debo Samuel. So now he got two versatile weapons and even more offensive weapons on this team here. You know, so the sky's the limit for this offense, and it's going to be real deadly, just like I said, man, because you can put the ball in anybody's hands, and they, and they can take a, a hitch route 80, or they can take, easy, as you can see, they can catch a bone for 65. You know, so, like, everything is open. Uh, it's just like Waffle House. Everybody's open, man, 24 hours, dog. <laughs> he is not Woo. waffling. Hello! 
Brew, what's the ceiling for this <laughs> offense? Well, first let me say this, Wiles. I, I'm starting to like Tyreek Hill and all his comments. Really? If only because I know that they are making Nick Wright shudder. Okay? They're making him tremble with fear. And here's the ceiling, Wilds. I'm going to give you a very specific ceiling. Both Tyreek and Jalen Waddle each have a thousand yard seasons. Tua throws for 4,500 yards plus. 4,500 And the Dolphins make the play. That's can, a can, lot of yards. I didn't, did, I didn't right. stutter. If, uh, they, if they won't get had. over a thousand. He's going to have to throw for about four, right? between four and 4,500. Between 4,000 and 4,500. Nope. And they make the playoffs as a wild card and win a game. That's the ce- that's the absolute ceiling. <laughs> now, I'm not predicting 4,500 yards. No, that's a, I'm that's saying a ceiling. Because here's the no, thing. No, look, you asked me the ceiling. You didn't ask for a prediction. There's a ceiling and there's a floor. He'll probably be somewhere in there, closer to the ceiling. But those are that's the ceiling. And look, Nick, you got to admit this. He has not had the weapons. We all know how many weapons they have in Miami. The receivers, they got a nice little running back core now with some of the additions, Chase Edmonds, Sony Michelle, Raheem Mostert. I, Mike McDaniel, haven't seen him coach a game. But five like years him. under Kyle Shanahan, I'm going to guess he is smart and knows what he's doing offensively. The offensive line has improved, and Tua went 13-8, and Nick. And he did all that with the worst offensive line in the league. And so I'm just saying, with all the improvements and a coach who didn't believe in him, reportedly, and Brian Flores, I think with all the improvements that that's the ceiling for these Dolphins. And look, you were a big Tua guy coming out of college when he came out of Alabama. There's time, Nick. There is time to hop on the Tua train. Because don't start hopping once they get rolling. Brew is actually a tiny bit right, amazingly. But But the majority of that was just hogwash. All right, first of all, I'm not a quarterback wins, quarterback record guy. But no one should be a quarterback wins guy when it's a 13 and 8 sample. And three of those 13, he had to get pulled for Ryan Fitzpatrick, the closer, to come in and win the game for him. So, like, that is a even more misleading than your stupid Jimmy G breath. <laughs> With that said, Wilds, the absolute ceiling for the Dolphins is what Bruce said make the playoffs. I don't think they win a playoff game. But I look at the AFC as we have six playoff teams. I don't want to say locked in, but there are six teams, the Bills, the Ravens, the Bengals, the Colts, the Chiefs, the Chargers, that I would be very surprised if any of them don't make the playoffs. Now, due to injury, one of them probably won't. But that leaves one spot available for your guys' beloved Russell Wilson, for the Raiders, for the Steelers, for the Titans, for the Dolphins, as the other five viable potential possible playoff teams. So, yes, their ceiling, Wilds, is make the playoffs. But Tua's ceiling is nowhere close to 4,500 passing yards. He would be very, very happy to get 3,500 passing yards. That's 200 yards a game in the expanded uh, schedule, which would be great for him. So, no. Do I think the Dolphins could be, you know, a nine-win team and sneak in? Easy division. Two games against the Jets and two games against the Patriots. So yeah, maybe, but not no chance of making of Tua having 4,500 yards. Give me a break. Keep working on those behind-the-back passes. You guys think you're locked into the playoffs with Russell Wilson and you know Josh McDaniels and Raiders. Uh, and my guy Justin Herbert. Okay. Here's what I'm nervous about, Broussard, now that you've, you've made yourself the Dolphins guy. And I know the question was, what's the ceiling? It's just not how it plays out, though, once we actually ask the question. Like, if you ask me what the ceiling is for my son, I'm like, you know, he could be president. You don't say, well, he was just saying, no, you would say Kevin thinks go. his son will be president. I don't just say, that's a ceiling. Okay, here's what I'm worried about. Dolphins schedule. They have Patriots, loss, at Ravens, loss, Bills, loss, at Bengals, just went to the Super Bowl, loss. 
Then week five, the Jets. And I could see the sneaky Jets saying, you know what? Let's just bury the Dolphins season right here. Because if you go 0-5, the first-year coach, yeah, and to his confidence, which done. is on shaky ground, Woo! and Tyreek, you think all there's a there's an other edge of this public relations sword with Tyreek out there talking to the media every day. You go 0 and 5, I think you're going to get a different Tyreek. Oh, it's not going to be Waffle House open yes. 24. 0 and 5. What? You know what? Hey, 0 and 5. Put it yeah. on the bottom what line. What game are you they winning? What game are you winning? Patriots, Ravens, Bills, Bengals. The, well, they're fake. You're, you're going to be you're going to no, underdogs. Th- Okay, that's well, four. They're certainly that's beating four. the Jets. They're favored against the Patriots. They're certainly beating the Jets. And they're favored against and the, the Jets. Patriots, yes. What are you that's talking early. about? That's an early line. What that's are you talking line. about? That what? line is going to move. Hey, guys, you know what? Hold Nick, on. You don't think I'm going to move the line? 4,000 yards. 4,000 yards is like 235 you yards You said 4,500. He's capable. You said 4,500. No, I said somewhere between, between 4,000 and 45. No, you... No, I just after I you said 4,500. No one else had said anything. I mean, I had time. That, <laughs> the, read the bylaws. You never read the bylaws. What? Unbelievable. <laughs> the FTF bylaws. Pro Bowl center <laughs> Ryan Jensen <laughs> is going to miss significant time with a knee injury. I Jensen has started every possible game for the last five se- seasons. Nick, how nervous should Bucks fans be right now? All right, I would tell me if you guys think this is over the top. Aside from Tom Brady, I think this is the single worst injury they could suffer. Does that, I think maybe immediately that seems hyperbolic, yes. but given the fact that they have two new guards, they had they, Ali Marpet was a pro bowler last year, he retired. Alex Cabell wasn't a great player, but he's gone. And now you have your other, your best offensive lineman, I would argue. With Rich, they still have two very good tackles. But Ryan Jensen, I know some uh, services rated him the best center in football last year. He's now out for the year. And we also know, Brew, that Tom Brady can deal far better with sketchy tackle play more so than bad play up the middle where you get pressure in his face. And if you look at the other best teams in the NFC, Aaron Donald is there. Eric Armstead is there. Kenny Clark, who just had maybe the best season of his career, is there in Green Bay. This is, to me, a devastating loss for them. Now, they might go out and sign a center. I understand that. I, I, I get that they are going to try to you know, improve the position. But I think if you were to ask Brady, of all the spots on the team, the one that he is most reliant on, Evans is a better player, but Brady can make do with different wide receivers. Plus, they just signed Julio, so you see what he has left. I think this is the worst injury they could suffer aside from a Brady injury. So I think it's a big deal. Yeah, I don't know if I go that far, the worst injury, but it it is a big deal. Wasn't Jensen, was he the first guy, uh, player that Brady called that was a free agent? Uh, one of the first when he decided to come out of retirement again. Oh, yeah. Um, so he understands right. the importance of, of Jensen. Yeah, Jensen being there. Um, as you mentioned, it's kind of a revamped offensive line. Now, the schedule, and they start, t- they start early, right? The schedule starts tough. Um, with, so their first four games, I believe, are yeah, really Dallas tough. Dallas is the first one. So, um, yep, they have the yeah, it, it's going to be challenging. For that line to get together. It, you see it right there. So those first four games are going to be tough. Now, in mid-October, November, it lightens up a bit. Uh, but by that point, the offensive line should be clicking. But, look, I don't think it ends their chances of doing what they want to do, which obviously has reached the Super Bowl. But um, it's a big blow, Wilds, and I think it'll show early in the season. But over time, I think they'll get that offensive line straight. Here's why I'm worried. I don't know what the motto is for the Tampa Bay Bucks this year. So year one, it was basically Tom Brady is here and he brought his friends. Year won the Super Bowl. Year two was largely let's run it back. Where it's like, hey, we brought all 22 starters back. Look at us. Now we're in year three. And it's a lot of, maybe it's like, who's that guy exactly? 
Uh, are we are we sure this is the same box? It's like yeah. Tom Brady and TBD. What we got? Okay, uh, Bruce Arians is gone. Gronk is gone, although I think he's coming back. Ali Marpet's gone. Uh, now Ryan Jensen's hurt. Now Antonio Brown is doing a mediocre hip hop shows. So Nick, I, I'm just I would be worried. Is it going to affect their win total yeah, significantly? Of but I am firmly in the worried Guys. camp. But I do think. Yeah, this Gronk comes back. He sends a little note. He's like, Gronk, I also need some blocking okay. now. So can you help me out here? He's like, oh, fine. Week okay. eight, I'll be back. All right. All right. I don't know that Gronk is going to move the needle significantly. <laughs> I, guys, I, Tom Brady, sham retired in order to leave this team before their center was done for the year. Guys, I'm not going to the, – the, the motto for the Bucks year – holding battered until Brady can leave to go play somewhere else. That's the motto, and you guys can be high on them this year if you want. I will not be. Too long for a motto. Uh, Zach Lowe says KD might retract the trade request. Next on First Things First. Oh, really? The motto needs to be short. Really? The Nets have joined Team Brassard. It's the reverse. Zach Lowe saying the Nets have not given up on a scenario mm. where KD retracts his trade request. Broussard, do you expect this to happen? Wilds, Nick, I was tempted. <laughs> I was tempted Ooh, to put these so on. Close. But I'll hold off. I'll, I, I was close. I'll hold I off, though. That. And I'm going to surprise you guys. I'm going to shock you. I don't think, I don't expect a retraction. Not now. Not right now. I Look, I, I don't expect him to come out and say, you know what, I want to stay with the Nets and run it back this season. Privately, I think he could be in conversations with management, talking about the team, getting ready for this season and what we got. But I don't expect him just to come out or even to them and say, you know what, don't trade me. I think he'll just be cool. Okay, and not say anything. But if I'm the Nets, I don't need a retraction. Okay, there are only two circumstances under which I'm trading Kevin Durant. One, the Celtics or someone else blows me away with a deal. I mean, blows me away. All right, I'm you have you, you people mocked when I said Tatum Williams the third. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Jalen Brown and and um, uh, Tatum. No, not Tatum. No. Marcus Smart. Jalen Brown, Marcus yeah. Smart, Robert Williams III, and picks. Because here's the thing. Yeah. If for the Celtics, Nick, I want even more than I want from other teams. Because not only would I be trading KD in my conference, it's in the division, for goodness sake. It is to the team that everyone knows fleece the Nets nearly a decade ago, and that's why the Celtics are in the position they're in as a contender. Okay, so if I'm dealing with Boston, yeah, I you have got to give me more, like like 150 cent or a dollar fifty cents for for the dollar. So I it's that I get blown away with an offer, or Kevin Durant starts making trouble. Kevin Durant doesn't show up for training camp. Kevin Durant starts talking publicly about wanting out, and I, I, I want to be elsewhere. I don't want to be in Brooklyn. Like, if he starts doing that stuff, okay, you force my hand. But I don't think KD will do it. He obviously hasn't done it so far. He's been cool behind the scenes. So if he does that, I think really? they keep him. And I said, Nick, if they start the first month or two playing well, Oh, yeah, Maybe right. you get a soft retraction or KD just being like, look, I like what we got. I, I like the team we have. We're just going to play this thing out and see where we can go. Like that type of thing. I don't know if you'll fully come out with a retraction. But the problem with that, Brew, is once this year starts, it's no longer next year, and then they're not next year Nets, which means they have a round two Here ceiling. Here the Nets go. only have a championship ceiling when it's next year, and once this year starts, it's like a paradox, Wilds. It's like if you can only go halfway between two places each step, how do you ever get all the way there? It's, it's that type of thing. So here's, Wilds, I looked at this a little differently than Brew did, evidently. I looked at Zach Lowe's report. And I don't wear sunglasses on the show because my takes don't need props to prop them up. However, I thought about grabbing them. <laughs> because here's the deal, Wilds. 
Why should the Nets care what KD retracts, doesn't retract, demand, doesn't demand, if they are planning on keeping him? If, as Brew has said with his chest and with bass in his voice, the Nets have all the leverage. There's four years left on his deal. You're going to show up to camp. If that was how they felt, why should they give two dams what Kevin Durant does or doesn't retract? Except they know it is not tenable in today's NBA to have a player of Kevin Durant's caliber playing for you who does not want to play for you. This, to me, was further confirmation that if Kevin Durant does not retract his trade request, which I do not believe he is going to do, he has not talked anything about this, but his brother has sent a few IG comments that give you the smallest window into his perspective on it, that if he doesn't retract his trade request, Wilds, that they are going to have to take the final best offer they get, which I, by the way, do think will be a really good one. I do think they will get Jalen Brown and either Marcus Smart or Robert Williams and a couple draft picks. And I think both teams will feel like we did about as well as we can do. I do not think there's any scenario where they are getting Brown, Smart, and Robert Williams. I don't think that's even on the board. But I think they could get Jalen plus one of them and a couple draft picks and it gets done, or they could trade him to the Pelicans like they should, but I, nobody's talking about that but me. And then back to you, Nick. When do you think this would happen? If, if everything plays out in this timetable that you expect, when do you think the Nets get to the point where it's like, all right, we need to make October a move? October 3rd. Wow, he thought, he just thought my it birthday, was happening also right uh, before the three weeks starts. ago. You thought it yeah, was I happening did. three weeks yeah, ago, Nick. Be honest. Yeah, okay. And now we're in a holding pattern. Yes, I did think it was going to happen quickly. And then once it didn't, this is the type of thing, though. It either happens immediately or if it doesn't happen immediately, there is no incentive. There is nothing gained. Brew, will you agree with me from this? There is nothing gained from Brooklyn's perspective between doing it now and doing it right before the start of the season. There, you could argue there's something gained before. Call it the start of training camp. Because you could say you want to have your t- full team in place from the start of training camp. So be it. That's fine. But there's, there's no incentive to rush it over the next six weeks that I can see. And I think other teams right now <clears throat> are waiting and seeing how the marketplace adjusts and possibly seeing, I would think, maybe – that a Donovan Mitchell trade happens, Brew, which is also in holding, but I think we believe is going to happen at some point. So there is something more recent than the absurd Rudy Gobert trade as the market setter. Because Danny Ainge in his final flourish might have screwed the Celtics one more time by getting so much for Rudy Gobert that now the Celtics can't make a trade for Kevin Durant because everyone's like, ah, Gobert got us five players and five first. So I just think that's why it hasn't happened yet, Brew. Well, didn't they ask for Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns before the Gobert trade? Yeah, but the that's Nets. A- so they had a high ceiling anyway. Nick, I, I, I just don't understand why you don't understand. There's no rush, period. I am totally fine. Unless Kevin Durant is just at Joe Tsai's door demanding that he get out of there, I am totally fine bringing Kevin Durant to training camp, and starting the season with KD, Kyrie, and Ben Simmons. I'm fine with that. In fact, I'm, that's preferable if I'm the Nets. I'm sorry. You're under okay. contract, young yeah. man. Come and play ball. Period. Okay, yeah, again, you're under contract, young man. Come and play ball is simply not how this has worked in the NBA in any time over the last five years. Super, and again, maybe the players' wilds are going to have a price to pay in the next CBA. But for the time being, superstars get what superstars want, and I do not think that is going to end with Kevin Durant. More first things first, after the break. I think Wilds is with me. I think Wilds is with me. Breaking news on the Deshaun Watson case. 
Ian Rappaport reporting, parties involved in the disciplinary hearing for the Browns, QB Deshaun Watson, have been informed by Judge Sue Robinson that Watson should be suspended six games, sources say. Nick, what is your reaction to this report? Well, my initial reaction is about what I thought it would be, which is it felt to me like any attempt to split the baby, so to speak, here was going to be very, very difficult. And by that, I mean Deshaun Watson was, I feel, credibly accused by 24 women of some type of sexual misconduct. So that that's what? One quarter of a game suspension per accuser. Now, the NFL and it, in its hearing process, they only brought up four specific cases. So it's four women that Judge Robinson heard about. She dismissed a fifth one that was media reports out of hand. And so it's four accusers that were presented to her, and he gets six games. And so I had said that I thought the only two resolutions that could pass muster would be zero games or a season plus. Because it's very, very difficult Hmm. for me to square, Brew, we believe, we believe the women, and we believe Deshaun Watson deserves less than half a season suspension. And that, to me, is what this is saying. So I don't love it. Uh, and I also, I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but I want the, uh, the audience to understand the process now. <clears throat> the NFLPA has said they will not appeal. The NFL, though, can appeal and has three days to decide if they want to appeal. They, the NFL, it would be Roger Goodell deciding he wants to appeal. And it, once they appeal, it basically then goes to Goodell to determine the suspension. And so this is not necessarily done. It still could get worse. It's not going to get better as far as a number of games. And I do wonder this, Brew. I wonder because there's no fine associated with this. And the Browns and Deshaun Watson were very, call it creative, with how they structured his record-breaking contract, where his salary this season is less than $700,000 in order to insulate himself from losing a lot of money via game checks. So I do wonder if the NFL tries to impose, at the very least, a harsher financial penalty than the one this represents. But I do not, for me at least, this does not satisfy what I thought the minimum threshold for suspension was and I highly doubt it will for many fans. Yeah, I, I'm a bit surprised it's only six games. Now, a month or so ago, I was I, I firmly believed he was going to be suspended for the entire season. I really thought that was going to happen. That's where the momentum seemed to be at. And obviously, that's what the NFL recommended, actually indefinite suspension. Um, and then, you know, seeing where things were headed... Uh, him settling with his accuser, and, and he obviously recently settled with three of the final four. Um, I started thinking he was going to get eight games. And so for it to come down to six does surprise me. I feel like, Nick, the NFL will appeal, and then I think Goodell may up it to eight games. Eight feels uh, appropriate at this point. Um, I thought the NFLPA, or I should say um, Watson's lawyers, I thought it was very smart of them because it did even make me think um, when they started talking about the owners and the sexual misconduct, whether directly or indirectly, of a Robert Kraft and a, a Daniel Schneider and a Jerry Jones, it really, and those guys got really nothing, uh, slaps on the wrist at best. It really made me say, you know what? The the league has said it holds its owners to a higher standard than it's going to hold players to. And yet, here we go with sexual misconduct on both sides. And one side, the owners get virtually nothing. And you have a player in danger of losing his entire season, half the season, whatever it may be. So that really made me think I would think that was a smart move. Um, and so I, and in this climate, it doesn't look good that white owners are getting slaps on the wrist for something and uh, an African-American player 
gets a full season suspension. So those are reasons why I thought it would end up maybe being only eight games. Um, at this point, though, Wilds, I, we'll see if they up it to eight. But six feels felt it's lower than I expected. But considering how they argued it, uh, it, it, it makes a little bit of sense. I, I, I agree with you, Broussard. I expect it to be appealed. Um, Nick, what do you think this is going to play out now? Because I think you were right in that the public reaction to this is going to feel like you feel and like the way that my initial reaction to this, which is that it felt light. That it felt light um, with the shadow of Calvin Ridley betting on some games and being gone for the whole year. And with what Deshaun Watson was accused of, granted that this process was a recommendation for six games, it just feels like with the Calvin Ridley suspension is out there as something that can be measured against, however obtuse those two things are. No, I, and again, I think the NFL would tell you that that's unfair. One is accusation. The other is a black and white clear rule. And Ridley doesn't even seem to deny, you know what I mean, what he did, even if he feels like the penalty is far too harsh. I I just, I want to make this clear. I do believe vehemently to my core in innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Okay. I believe in that, and I believe that stay, and I believe in reasonable doubt that standard should be incredible, the threshold incredibly high in order to deny someone their liberty, in order to cage someone and put them in jail. That to me is in- entirely different than what I need personally to, if you ask me my honest opinion, do you think someone's guilty? And I will, I, I will be very clear about this. This is my opinion. I believe Deshaun Watson is guilty. I do not believe 24 unrelated women uh, on various timelines conspired in a multi-county you know, county conspiracy to bring down Deshaun Watson. And I, don't, I find it impossible to have followed this case closely, to have followed the accusations from women that were not even part of the civil suits who said, here's my experience and come away from it thinking, nope, Deshaun did nothing wrong in those massage massage sessions. And I also think Deshaun has gotten lucky that because the specific accusations are so uncomfortable to discuss, particularly on television for a long time, we, and I, I will admit my own complicity in this, mostly ignored it. It's like we're a morning sports TV show. He's not even playing right now. How do you even say these things that he's accused of doing? Let's just keep it moving. And so because of that, it has not gotten the full light of day it deserves. And I, I'm going to say something else here, Brew, that I, I, I don't think will get me in trouble. And I'm sure people will judge me for it. There's a lot of guys that have gotten in trouble and gotten suspended or gotten, you know, in trouble with their leagues for what I would consider a one-off awful moment. And while I do believe there should be uh, penalties for that and I do believe there should be punishment for that, sometimes I see those things and I'm like, nah, I don't know that that's necessarily reflective of who they are as a person rather than just reflective of, a a terrible situation and a few terrible decisions building on themselves. I don't look at this that way at all either. I look at this as almost a systematic abuse. And I think it's going to be very difficult for the public once we get more non-sports media, really this coming to the forefront of, hey, here's the accusations in whole. And he's going to miss a third of the season and lose out on a few hundred thousand dollars when he just signed a contract for a couple hundred million dollars. I do not think this is going to be received well at all. I think it's interesting, Nick, because we'll get into it later. 
We're going to discuss the Cowboys next on First Things First. Welcome back to First Things First. We are discussing the decision with Deshaun Watson. Ian Rappaport reporting parties involved in the disciplinary hearings for the Browns QB have been informed by Judge Sue Robinson that Watson should be suspended six games. We've spent the last few blocks talking about the off-field repercussions of this. We're going to turn our attention to the on-field. Nick, how do you, what do you think this means for the Browns season? Well, I mean, I think all things considered, it's their best case scenario. I also think, and I don't, again, I don't want to sound like I'm someone that's just, you know, making excuses for the league uh, in this instance, but I, I, what I'm about to say here, I don't think was intentional. But if we show the Browns schedule, they have the softest strength of schedule in the NFL right. for the first six games of the year. They play one team over those first six games that's projected by Vegas to have a winning record, and that's the Chargers. And again, people are going to hammer the NFL for that, saying, oh, they said this. The NFL wanted him suspended the whole year. So they didn't care where, you know, the Brown schedule is the Brown schedule. If the NFL had gotten what they wanted, the order of the games wouldn't impact which games Deshaun missed. However, he now at the moment is only suspended six games. And the Panthers and the Falcons project to be maybe the two worst teams in football this year. The Jets are the Jets. And so is it plausible, Brew, that with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, the Browns make it to week seven at three and three? Yeah, of course. That's like super plausible. I mean, I think there's a scenario where they could be four and two, even with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. And so, and again, I just want to make this clear for the show. If you're just joining us, we've spent the the last 45 minutes talking about the off-field stuff. So now we're going to spend some time talking about the on-field stuff. But we have not given that the short shrift at all. But, Brew, I think that for the Browns, when they saw the schedule and now see the suspension, they've got to feel like this was as good as they could have hoped for. Oh, no question. And, again, they there was a report that they were bracing themselves for eight to nine games. They clearly had some inkling that it would be less than a full season. And, and I, this might make you chuckle, Nick, but to me, that was the only reason not to go after Jimmy Garoppolo. Because uh, as limited as he may be, especially in your opinion, he can win sure. you football games. And when you look at what they have sure. around him, the running backs, the receiver, you know, the offensive line, they would have been able to win with Jimmy G. But thinking Deshaun would only be out half the season, now at this point, it's far less than that. They certainly feel like we're, we're good with Jacoby Brissett. And I agree. Like, if I'm the Browns, three and three is the, the worst record that we should have going through those six games, if indeed it's only a six-game suspension. The Jets, Wilds is Patriots. I mean, that, that could be a tough game, but that's one you certainly – feel like you can still win, and then Carolina? Now, can you beat Pittsburgh? We'll see what they have at quarterback. So they definitely, this has worked out for them if this is the case and this stands. Again, I don't think it'll stand, Greg. But for the Browns, 3-3 and with Deshaun coming back. And remember, Deshaun has already been working out with the team. The players have already taken to him. And you can see that he's won a lot of them over as far as his on-the-field play. They think he's going to be incredibly effective for them. And he's going to be able to practice through the suspension. And I get that that's still not the same thing as being in an NFL game, especially when you haven't played in one and it'll be about a year and a half at that point. But he will have familiarity with his teammates, with the playbook, with the coaching staff, that if if they can go three and three in the six games he's out as it stands right now, the schedule is incredibly tough from that point on. But if they're as good as a lot of people think they are, then they still have a great chance to make the playoffs. Yeah, this is this is a good thing for the Cleveland Browns when you look at it from a scheduling standpoint. And when you have a guy like Jacoby Brissett, 
who has played a lot of football in this league and who has won a lot of games, uh, meaningful games in the regular season, that is, um, you're, you're confident in that. And another thing, when you look at this team, you're and you go from Baker Mayfield to now what will be Jacoby Brissett for a period of time, what do you really lose? You lose the mobility. You don't necessarily lose all the savviness of the, the smarts of a quarterback. Jacoby Brissett is in the National Football League for a reason. He's been a viable backup for a reason. And when I look at that situation and him them not going after a Jimmy Garoppolo or anyone else, it's because they feel really confident in Jacoby Brissett to get them through this stretch, whatever that stretch ends up being. Why is that? Because this team was built on running the football. They weren't a quarterback-happy team. They had Baker Mayfield. They wanted to see if he can get the keys turned over to him. That never transpired. And so when you look at that, the landscape is right what they, what, where they want it. It's not ideal, but it's, it's, it's fitting for them. They're a running football team. They're a team that plays great defense. What, what else can you ask for when your quarterback, who you just signed for $200-plus million, is not going to be available for you, but just to lean on your defense and running game? That's what they'll do. They'll be just fine. And I think they, they, they have a chance to be even better than three and three. And I know we keep saying three and three for everybody who's listening. Like he, he's been suspended for six games right now. And if it is longer, right. I still think that they would be just fine. So, Greg, last year in training camp, Tim Tebow was there um, with Jacksonville. And we discussed it a lot. And we discussed about the distraction that Tim Tebow would be um, and that he would take away time from the coaches and, and that they'd have to deal with, you know, Tebow mania, even though Tebow's character, um, you know, is pretty sparkling. How do you think, because we we're just, we we're talking in the break, like, oh, he's going to practice today. That practice is run, uh, how, how preparation is run, knowing that this suspension is looming and another decision from the NFL is looming? Is it like, you know, we have a job to do or does the coaching staff have a responsibility to address things and address the, you know, the, the, the shadow that would be over <clears throat> Brown's practice for the considerable future? Well, if you're in that organization and you're in that locker room, you would have to be... In, in the thought of this has been addressed from the start. You, you've addressed this several times. Yes, will we address it today? Of course. But practice, this is one thing that I've always loved about sport. It's not, even though there could be one amazing player, a Tom Brady, a Michael Jordan, a LeBron James, practice still happens. The game still continues regardless of what transpires, there is a moment where you're, there are some things that you take a blow as a complete team. And it's like, Oh my God, well, let's just take a day or let's have a moment. This isn't that, this isn't that you're not going to give it that much attention. So as far as practice goes and playing players go, it's not a distraction to them on the field where it becomes a distraction is when they get off the field and now the cameras are in their face and now the reporters have the microphones in their face and they're asking all the questions regarding Deshaun Watson and, and what's revolving around him. That's what you protect your team from. On the field, nothing changes. You're going to go with the same mindset, same approach. But there is an adjustment that you're going to have to make off the field when it comes to preparing your guys for answering questions. And even Deshaun Watson, if he speaks, if he because he is allowed to be at practices. Yeah. And let me tell you the other thing that's going to happen. And it's going to be gross, and it's almost inevitable. Deshaun Watson is going to get, of all the Browns, the loudest ovation when he comes out to practice. It's just, I've seen that happen so many times. And then there's going to be a teammate this or right. two that discusses this, Greg, as if he has overcome something. 
They, they are going to, they, there is That's going right. to be this, the idea that Deshaun Watson has been, you know, is dealing with some adversity, not of his own doing, and that we must rally around him in his time of need. And there it, it is, and it will, there will be friendly media that will immediately start to try to promote this idea of, well, hasn't he already been suspended a year? Didn't, you know, he didn't play last year. Right. So how much does, should he really have to pay for, you know, something that a grand jury and anyone that knows anything about the grand juries in Harris County, let me tell you, they, they, they never screwed things up. The grand jury, you know, decided not to indict him on. And it'll just get spun, which is why I think that I think the Browns, if we're talking about them on the field, Brew, I think that they need to right now be making very real considerations of how much time should he be getting with the ones at practice when I don't think anybody on this panel right now thinks he's only missing six games. I think we all think he's missing at least eight and maybe more. And we talked about the schedule being soft for the first six. Well, it gets a hell of a lot harder right after that. And so I I just, I anticipate some really uncomfortable quotes from teammates that are attempting to be supportive and some really inappropriate cheers. What well, inappropriate means wrong word. Call it awkward cheers from Browns fans that are rooting for the helmets rather and not so much thinking about the people and the lives of the people that those players impact. No, there's no question because as I told you, I've talked to people uh, who think uh, he's getting, he's got, I'm not sure about this. You know, the timing was strange and things like that. So yeah, people will do that. And I was talking with Ephraim Salam, former NFL player a week or so ago. And he said this, Greg, in the locker room, and obviously this is true for the, at least the fans in Cleveland, winning is a great deodorant. And if Deshaun Watson, if they believe he's going to be great for them, then he gets on the field and is great for them, they will cheer for him and they will cheer wildly from him, for him and they will move on from this situation. But Nick, as far as the ones, Greg, if I were in training camp, I'd have him and Brissett doing it. But then once the season starts, obviously, or we get closer, you got to go with just Brissett with the ones. Yeah, no question. Yeah, you got. You want to give them some time because this is might be all you got. Yeah. Hey, thanks for joining us. We're more on this tomorrow. Undisputed is up next. Have a good day.